I wanted to do something a little special today. This episode is airing on Giving Tuesday. So I wanted to share a little part of my story and kind of what helped set our trajectory. I was probably 18, 17, the very first time I met a foster parent. And before that, I'm not really sure if I knew that such a thing existed. You know, this is kind of like, we didn't have cable. We lived in a small town. I don't know if I even knew that there was this whole system. And when he explained it to me, I just thought, huh, so kids get a second chance at a family and at a childhood. And just in that moment, it kind of hit me that a family and parents is probably the greatest gift that one human being could give another. And I just thought, well, if I could give some kids a second chance at a family, like, I don't know if I'll be any good at that, but I think I want to give it a try. And that's what kind of set me and then eventually Adam on this trajectory to where the very first date Adam and I had, that was one of the questions I asked him, how do you feel about adoption? And he was like, I love that idea. I'm like, perfect. Check. Next question. How do you feel about adoption for foster care? And he was like, actually, I really love that. I have a foster brother named Micah, who me and Adam eventually adopted. So today I'm excited. I am joined with Joe, who is the director of The Hope Effect, and Joshua Becker, who you might know from Becoming Minimalist. And he's written a couple books, uh, The Minimalist Home, and what's the other one? The More of Less, and a new one coming out in April. A new one coming out. What's the title of that one? Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Live a Meaningful Life. I think you all will like this book. I just saw it's up for pre-order today, so that is very exciting. I might have to nab a copy for my trip. So I wanted to have this little group chat because we're going to talk about adoption and orphans and kind of the issue that's happening in the world and how we can be part of the solution. So Joshua, thinking back before Hope Hope Effect was a thing, what kind of gave you that spark or what kind of started this idea for you? Well, first of all, thank you for having us on. Uh, what a great day, oh, Giving yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> and yeah, how uh, how wonderful to to get to be a part of this and uh, have this conversation on such a such an important day. I always kind of hate the fact that it comes after Black Friday and Cyber Saturday and Travel Monday or whatever they all are. But it's good to be here. Oh, wait, Cyber Monday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday. Finally, we get to Giving (laughs) Tuesday. Anyway, yeah, uh, I suppose the story goes back to, number one, my uh, my wife was uh, adopted. And so adoption has always been close to our hearts. Orphan care has always been something that has been important to us as a a couple and as a family. And um, just our faith has always played a, a big part in that as well. Uh, I started writing about minimalism 13 years ago and how so much of our life and resources are wasted when we choose to pursue and accumulate things that we don't need. And so minimalism had entered into my life and I was beginning to see how much of life 
is wasted on things that we don't need. Around the time that the Hope Effect was getting started, I had signed a book contract to write two books, The Minimalist Home and The More of Less. And my wife and I, I can remember we sat down on our blue couch and had a conversation about what are we going to do with the book advance money from the books. We we're going to write a book about not buying stuff that we don't need and get paid handsomely to do it. Or are we going to go buy a bigger screen television and fancier <laughs> furniture and a bigger house and nicer car? And of course, the answer was no. And so we, uh, we decided that we would use the funds from the books to start a nonprofit. And uh, it was through conversations with my longtime friend, uh, Joe Darigo, that we decided to start The Hope Effect and change the way the world cares for orphans. And Joe, what brought you to this cause and this idea, this mission? Well, I remember Joshua taking uh, my wife and I out, Joshua and Kim, taking my wife and I out to lunch and sharing the great news about the uh, generous book contract that he had signed and and the amazing reality that he wanted to take a majority of the proceeds and help other people with it and really put his uh, money where his mouth is, so to speak. And uh, something I've always appreciated about Joshua is he really leads and lives his life with integrity. And, and uh, what you see is what you get. And what he talks about is, is what he does. And so uh, he, he was sharing how he wanted to make an impact um, in the orphan world. And he was coming to my wife and I because we had had some experience in it. We have adopted two children uh, internationally. We adopted our daughter, Sydney, who is now 22 years old, back in man, back when she was only four and a half months old. And she came to us through um, an adoption out of South Korea. And really, I say she kicked open the door into the orphan world for me. Like, like you had said in, in your opening remarks, I had really never thought about adoption or orphans. I mean, I saw Orphan Annie movie as a kid, you know, but it wasn't really like something that was prominent in my mind. And uh, through some dramatic events, we ended up adopting a kid, Sydney from South Korea. And, and we started to learn that, you know, there's a lot of challenges with orphans and what they're facing around the world. world is horrible. You know, 15 million orphans, less than 1% of them will ever be adopted. 95% of them are over the age of five. And I want to just highlight that because you skimmed over it so quick, but it's such an important point especially with some of the ideas that we're getting to, only 1% of orphans will ever be adopted. That's correct. And they're over five. And, you know, I know, and you also have experience adopting older kids. It's part of the challenge is the kids who've been in institutional care, who are over five, who've lived apart from families for so long. They have some some extra needs. Yeah. Trauma does its work. They have a little bit of a hard time adjusting to family life. That's correct. But what we learned is that uh, it's not because there aren't loving people that would gladly welcome children, infants even, into their family. It's that the governments um, and situations take so long to unravel and the children have to wait and wait and wait until the legal side is taken care of. And there's good reason for all of that. I, under, I understand that it's not every kid gets is dropped through the cracks or slips through the cracks. There's some really uh, difficult challenges. No kid gets into an orphanage because their life is going great. You, you know what I mean? There's a big challenge there. 
So we learned about all of these things. And so we, we said, you know what, at this point, we had one biological child. We adopted our daughter, Sydney. We had another biological child. And we said, we have plenty of room in our house and, and we have room in our heart for an older child. We think our kids are pretty great. They should have a, another younger sibling. And so we you know, opened our heart and our home to uh, adopt an older child. And um, we ran into our daughter, Mia through our uh, adoption agency, she was abandoned at birth, and it took the government eight and a half years to solve her legal issues. We met her online, so to speak, her profile uh, at age 10, and it took us about two years to do our paperwork. So I met her shortly after she turned 12 years old in a hotel in uh, Bangkok, Thailand. My whole family was there to welcome her in. And um, boy, those early years that she spent, those developmental years that she spent inside of an orphanage uh, really took a toll on her life. Uh, she's 12 years old, 68 pounds, had a big bald spot on her forehead where she would rip her hair out when she'd get sad or confused. And uh, and like you said, she didn't know how to live in a family. So we stretched out our arms extra wide and welcomed her in. And, and uh, it was a challenge for her and, and a challenge for us, for sure, as we both walked this journey over the last seven years. So every day I would wake up, I'd see the difference that um, a kid, uh, an orphan being raised in a family, what that looks like, and then an orphan that spent a good portion of their early developmental years in an orphanage and what that trauma did to her and what it's doing to our family as well. And so because we realized the difference firsthand when Joshua came and said, uh, hey, I want you to be a part of uh, helping me change the way the world cares for orphans, would you do it? Uh, we realized that that we had something to add to it, and uh, we joined forces with him. Well, if I could jump in, it, <laughs> your involvement went back much further than "Hey, do you want to be? Do you want to be involved?" <laughs> I mean, it was it was Joe who started. I mean, that time we went out for dinner with him and his wife, and I, like we didn't know how we want to be involved. We just said, "Hey, orphan care has always been close to our heart, but we don't know what role we want to play in the world." and and Joe started showing us decades of research that institutional orphanages that most people picture, little orphan Annie, like these orphanages, that damaging effects on human development is the yeah. way to say it. Institutional orphanages is better than than living on the street, certainly. But um, when a child grows up in that type of environment and doesn't have the affection and attention and interaction that you would in a family that the brain just doesn't develop correctly. And so he he began sharing with us some of these statistics and some of this research. And that's when we said, I think that's the problem that, that we want to solve. I mean, there's a reality that 99% of orphans aren't going to be adopted. And so how we care for them matters. And uh, that became our heart and passion to change the way the world cares for them. And I think that brings up an important part, because I think a lot of people don't realize what orphan care looks like and its natural progression. A few hundred years ago, even in the U.S., we didn't have orphanages. It was, like you said, a whole bunch of kids living on the street, and a whole bunch of awesome people got together and said, this is bad. Kids shouldn't live on the street. It's not, not doing them any favors. And they built orphanages. But then about 100, 150 years ago, people realized, oh, this is not fantastic either. Better than the streets, but this isn't great. So the U.S. started actively, aggressively trying to find kids' families, whether those were adoptive families, whether those were foster families. Uh, they shipped kids out on trains out west and just said, as long as you get into a family, 
this is going to be better. But until about 10, 15 years ago in the US, the foster care system had a very similar issue that, that the adoption system, orphanage system in all these other countries still has. And that is cases, parental rights wouldn't be severed for year after year after year after year. Even with our oldest adopted son, it took seven years from the time he went into care until he was actually available for adoption. And it wasn't until not so long ago that they said, okay, <laughs> this isn't helpful for kids either. They need to have a sense of permanency. Okay, we need to try to wrap it up in 18 months. But in lots of other countries around the world, they're still an orphanage system and they don't have the 18 month timeline. So it might take five, 10, 15 years until the kid grows up before they're even available for adoption. So maybe Josh or Joe, you can kind of share what are some of those differences when kids are able to be raised in families versus orphanages? Well, good point, uh, Jillian. And uh, Joshua, let me jump in here and, of course, uh, interrupt me at any time. But a child, I mean, there's a lot more research these days, a lot more studies that have happened that really pinpoint some of those differences. You know, when a child's first born and comes into their family, uh, the mom and dad or caretakers taking care of them all the time, same person. And there's a bond that's being formed and made uh, there. And as the as you know, I mean, I, I just became a grandfather. And as we hold our little granddaughter, we're cooing and she's cooing back and she's following with her eyes all of our facial expressions. And what's really going on there is that, you know, neurologic pathways are being formed in her brain and that's going to serve her for the rest of her life. And she's learning how to attach to people and learning how to feel safe. And when a child's in an orphanage, in essence, they're safe from some of the outside harms that they would have if they were on the street, but they're missing those key developmental interactions that we need to develop our brains in those early years. And so instead of staring into the eyes of a loving parent, they're staring into the, the emptiness of a ceiling, and that is forming their brains. And they do, they've done research and scanned brains of children that were raised in a family and compared them to children that were raised in an orphanage, and they have different looking brains, like things work differently. It plays out in society as well. I mean, a kid that's been raised in an orphanage compared to being raised in a family is 10 times more likely to be involved in some type of sex work, is 40 times more likely to be have a criminal record, and uh, sadly, is 500 times more likely to commit suicide. So it's not only great for the child to be raised in a family, but it's really good for society, for children uh, to be raised in a family as well. And I would add even, man, I, I just love that example of, you know, watching your baby smile and it's like the biggest event in a mom or dad's life, right? Like the baby first smiles and you're calling over everybody and trying to get the baby to do it again. And But if a baby's in a crib and smiles and no one responds and smiles again and no one responds and does it again, like the connection just isn't made that, that this is how I interact in society and interact with other people, not to mention... Uh, children grow up in an orphanage and then they're sent out into the world at 18 and somehow expected to figure out even how a family is supposed to function. Like just even growing up in a family and seeing how the family unit is supposed to work 
you know, imagine someone growing up and never seeing that and then being thrown out in the world to figure out what family is supposed to look like. So it's a big issue. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, in most developed nations, they have adopted a foster care system. But in the countries that we go in to, to work in, in some developing nations where the the resources aren't there, like there aren't enough families to take the, the children. Um, sometimes there's laws in place that don't even allow foster care to be an option. Uh, those are some of the, the places that we work and uh, where we're going in to, to change laws and change structure and educate and advocate and um, get children into families because everyone deserves a family. Giving Tuesday is such a massive thing for a lot of charities, but especially for the Hope Effect. It plays such a pivotal role. So I want to kind of celebrate that all of the listeners are just getting more information and being more involved and being more connected to these issues in the US and abroad. Because for a lot of people, when I talk about this work, they just had no idea. <laughs> they had no idea the struggles that other countries have in getting kids into families. They had no idea that kids weren't getting adopted, all the reasons why kids have a hard time getting adopted, you know, legal paperwork, and just the effects of growing up without a family have on kiddos. Um, and to Joshua's point, even in the U.S., about 20,000 kids a year age out of foster care, having never been adopted. And the stats for kids who age out without a family, it's really tough. And I always encourage people, you know, if you're 25 or 35 or 45, think about how much you still depend on your family and what a pivotal role they played in your adult life. Bings, we just had Thanksgiving. That was the person that you called to be like, now, how do I cook a turkey? <laughs> I don't actually know how to do this. <laughs> I remember calling my mom from college and be like, I don't know how to use a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Please walk me through this. That family structure, even for older kids, Absolutely. is super important. So what kind of work does the Hope Effect do? Like Joshua said, we go into places where family-style care, what we often refer to as foster care, doesn't exist. And we look for ways to help bring that about. So if the government is slow in, uh, in adopting, say, a foster care structure, then we look to how to change their current orphanage structure so that it's more family-like. So getting kids into smaller groups, having a consistent caregiver, somebody that they learn is, you know, foster mom or foster dad, and help them to grow up in a family environment, uh, even though it's not what we would say would be a pure foster care uh, model. And then uh, in other places, say, for example, in Sonora, Mexico, uh, we worked for, oh, geez, four and a half, five years to try to get the government to understand the importance of foster care. We signed a, a contract with them and we helped them implement their program. So we recruit families, we vet the families, do background checks on them, the home study, all the things that you're familiar with, Jillian, and I'm sure you've gone through many times and understand what that really looks like, you know, really just to make sure it's a safe family uh, for a child and that they're equipped and ready to go. And then uh, we help the government place a child in that family. And then our psychologist and our, our team follows up with them for long-term care so that they can have success. And uh, the nice thing about uh, what we do, well, there's many nice things, uh, but this one nice thing that we do is we really keep our ratios low 
so that we can give high touch to the families and help them really be successful after placement. Because as you said, that that can be a challenging time. And we see tremendous results. I mean, children grow physically very quickly. They grow in development really quickly. They They begin to thrive because families are what kids are supposed to grow up in and not institutions. You know, it's really thrilling to watch the results take place. Joshua, what's one thing that you would love for people to know, either about the hope effect or just about orphan care? The most important thing that the people need to know is what we've been talking about. And the way you said it is exactly the way I experienced it. When when Joe was explaining how children thrive in families and how institutional orphanages have have some negative repercussions. As I always say, it made total sense to me, but I I had never considered it. I had never thought how rotating caregivers, how uh, a large amount of children to a small number of adults, that as soon as I heard it, it made perfect sense. And I'm like, where's this been my entire life? Like, how how come I I just grew up watching orphanages and plays and theater and and movies but never like never really considered the the effects that it would have on uh, on a child. So that's the most important thing just to know that that what we're doing since today's giving Tuesday one of the things that that we've always been proud of at the Hope Effect is that we uh, adopted a 100% model where anyone who donates to the Hope Effect uh, 100% of their donations go directly to the field uh, and directly to work. And we're in Mexico and Honduras and we're moving into Thailand and their entire donation can go towards the work. And there's some people who are like, that's what they want to know. They want to know that their donation is going to be used to help kids not fund salaries in the U.S., even though those are essential. And uh, we have some private donors and companies that help support our administrative fees and people can give to administration if they want it. But if this is your first introduction to the Hope Effect, know that 100% of your donation uh, goes directly to work on the field. So always been pretty proud of that. I love what the Hope Effect's doing, partly because I've seen the progression in the U.S. And I'm so excited to kind of help other countries level up the level of orphan care. I think and Joe, you've talked about this, like people who start orphanages, like they have really big hearts. They do it because they Absolutely. love kids. And yet we have now mountains of research and so much data that shows, and now we have a better way. Now we have a better option and slowly helping these countries, but also these individual orphanages get kids into families. And for all the adults listening, for people who have had amazing families, like, you know, the benefit that you've experienced, how it changed the whole trajectory of your life to have amazing parents and people who didn't have amazing parents know the difficulty and the struggle that can present for the rest of your life as you kind of unpack that and relearn that and figure things out a whole new way of doing it. And even kids who, you know, maybe as a kid, if you moved around a lot, just changing schools, changing neighborhoods, changing houses, you talk to people who moved a ton as, as little kids they don't have a lot of memories from childhood, even if they had the same caregivers. If you have experienced too much change and too much transition, 
you lose your memory and your memories don't form the same way. And so giving these kids, like, instead of constantly rotating caregivers, giving them the same house, same two people, same environment can really make a big difference. Well, you know, Jillian, it's like uh, the finance world. You know, you make uh, little investments over time and it adds up and it, it, it multiplies, right? And, you know, all those things from when the when our kids were little and all those things in our own lives when we were little that just it's hard to even quantify how fast that multiplies in your life and where that really uh, not only adds up, but really compounds and how that pays off dividends in your future. And, you know, just giving kids the opportunity to experience family, the love and the support that they deserve. As Joshua said, every kid deserves a family and just to give them that and have to know that not only is that a win for them right now, but it's a win for them for the rest of their lives. And it's a win for the generations that will come after them through them, right? Like their kids, their grandkids, like it's, we're planting trees and bearing fruit in the future. We're not planting vegetable gardens for this season. (laughs) We're planting trees that will, that people and cultures will eat off of and enjoy the fruit for years to come. I want to encourage everyone, Giving Tuesday is such a big part of the Hope Effects fundraising, and it's largely through small donors, people who give every month, they sign up for rotating giving or one-time gifts on Giving Tuesday. And over at my brand, my company, I'm doing a $3,500 matching donation for today. So there's a link in the show notes and you can give. And I really hope that you learn more about this organization, more about the issue that's just happening globally. And if you're able to to give a donation, I'm doubling your money. So take some of my money and give it to The Hope Effect. I love it. And you can follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Look up The Hope Effect. We have a white and yellow logo, picture of a home. And love to have you jump in. And uh, you can find us at HopeEffect.com as well. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for for joining me and for chatting with the Everyday Courage audience. Thank you, Jillian. Thanks, Jillian.